Uh, I want you to turn your Bibles to two passages of Scripture, uh, Genesis 25 and then Hebrews 12. So if you'll open to Genesis 25, uh, we'll get there in a little while in the message, and then Hebrews chapter 12, we'll get there later. We're in a series called Lost and Found, and we're basing it on the prodigal son and learning things from the story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15, because none of us ever want to be a prodigal. So we're talking about different uh, things from that or revelations from that passage. And this week, the title of the message is The Trump Card Battle. The Trump Card Battle. Now, I know that's a little different. And let me just say right now, if you grew up in a church where playing cards was a sin, please forgive me for this illustration, all right? And please forgive me for the title of this message. But um, I played a lot of cards growing up, uh, paid some of my college tuition from that, so I'm sorry. <laughs> but I, I used to cheat at cards um, before I got saved, and then when I got saved, uh, Debbie never could figure out, you know, why she couldn't beat me at cards. Uh, even after I got saved, you know, old habits die hard, and, and then she, uh, I, in, in a moment of weakness, I guess, I confessed to her. Um, Sugar, I, 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 I cheat at cards, uh, and it's just kind of normal. It's kind of the way you play, you know, and she said, it's not normal, it's wrong, it's cheating. So from then on, if she started losing, she'd say to me, are you cheating? In Jesus' name. <laughs> so I'd have to tell her. I, I also um, hustled pool uh, in college. Played a lot of pool growing up, had a pool table and won tournaments and things, and so I did that as well. And then after I got saved, I thought I would use that skill, you know, for the kingdom. And um, <laughs> so I was, if you remember, I was traveling preaching revivals, and the guy that did the, the music for me was fourth in the nation in college bowling. And so uh, he would hustle bowlers before he got saved. So. So we thought we'd use it for the kingdom, so we would go to the bowling alley, and he would hustle the bowlers, and I'd hustle the pool players. Uh, what we'd do is we'd say, if you beat us, we'll give you $20. But if, if we beat you, you have to come to church. And uh, we had 27 people get saved in one week, so we, <laughs> we, thought, we thought we were doing something good, you know, for the kingdom. Uh, and then the deacons got mad at us, and... Um, they, they said, you know, you can't, you can't do that, you know, because you're, you're gambling. And, you know, we said, well, it, it's not gambling because, you know, they, they don't have a chance, you know, so it's not, <laughs> it's not gambling. So anyway, um, but I don't do that uh, much anymore. So, okay, so, so the reason I'm, I'm using this title, the trump card battle, is because uh, I feel like the Lord gave me this as an example uh, in, in cards, and I'm not talking about poker, I'm talking about like spades or hearts or something, there's a, a suit, if you don't know this, there's a, um, um, like hearts or spades uh, or diamonds or whatever it is, that there's a suit that would be trumps. And what that means is that you could actually play a, a high card in another suit and someone could play the lowest card in the trump suit and they, that low card actually beat your high card. I feel like that if we're not careful as believers, we give Satan a trump card in our life. 
In other words, we're doing well, we're tithing, we're going to church, we're taking classes, we're in groups. But there's an area of our life that's not surrendered to the Lord. And here we are playing these high cards in, in other areas, and Satan then throws down a trump card. Do you follow what I'm saying? And all of a sudden, we're out. We're, we, we've been, we, we, we're fall, we've fallen away, something's happened. And I think that the prodigal son had a, a trump card. So this is what I'm calling the trump card battle. Uh, let me say this too. I think sometimes we actually tell Satan uh, what, what's a trump in our life. In other words, I, I've actually heard people say something like, you know, if, if that ever happened to me, I don't think I could keep serving God. I've heard, I've heard people say, uh, you know, if my husband did this, that would be the end of our marriage. Okay, wh why would you say that? Because do you understand what your enemy does then? Your enemy says, thank you. Because, you know, I was working on your husband in like five different areas. But now I know all I have to do is work on him in that one area. So don't, don't give Satan any trump cards. You have to know that if he has a trump card, it's because you gave it to him because Jesus took away the whole debt 2,000 years ago. I mean, he took away all of Satan's power unless we open a door to him, unless we give him some yield in an area. So let me show you three, three areas that could be uh, trump cards from the story of the prodigal son. Uh, number one, secrets. Secrets. Now, I know I asked you to turn to, to um, Genesis uh, and then I say chapter 25. Okay. Yeah, that's good. That's right. Good. I was just testing. Um, but let me read you just a little from Luke 15, all right? Verse 11 says, then he said, a certain man had two sons. This is the beginning of the parable. And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Now, verse 13 is what I want to key on. And not many days after. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Okay, what does that phrase, not many days after, tell us? Here's what it tells us. It tells us that he was planning it. It tells us that he had this going on in his heart and in his mind before he got the inheritance, and that's why he was asking for it. He, he had a secret. The secret was that he thought he would be happy if he had money. Let, let me talk to you about these secrets. They're, they're thoughts in our heart. They're thoughts in our mind. They're thoughts that the enemy might plant or that we allow him to, to build a case in our mind. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10 says to cast down imagination. Some versions use different words, but that's probably the best word from, from the Greek. And I want you to think about what the root of the word imagination is. Uh, we would think imagine, but it's actually uh, smaller than that. It's image. It, it, it's an image that we magnify is what it is. Uh, and let me tell you what the word image means. And, and it's really easy to actually understand. It comes from a Latin word. But image means image. Think. Here's what it means. I make. I make, and, 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 and the root of it actually means I become. Let me say it another way. What you're picturing in your mind, you're becoming. We, we've heard people say this, picture it in your mind. 
Well, well, here's what the Bible, the way the Bible says it, as a man thinks in his heart. So these are the deep thoughts of your heart that go into your mind. So is he. No, don't have a, a picture in your mind of something that's, that's ungodly. Uh, don't, in other words, don't imagine a good marriage with someone else other than whom you're married to. Imagine a good marriage with the person you already have. Imagine that. Don't, don't, don't imagine being rich one day. Imagine being generous now. <laughs> in other words, you've got to put the right thoughts in your mind. And the prodigal son had different thoughts, and they, they were secrets. He, he, didn't know, he never told anyone this. He had a secret. And as soon as he got the funds, he fulfilled his secret. Uh, let me show you a little about secret. I'll get to Genesis 25 in a minute. But Genesis 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, form and void and darkness. Notice the word darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Now, I just want you to notice something. God didn't create the darkness. The darkness was already there. Most theologians believe it's because Satan had already fallen to the earth. And he, so Satan lives in darkness. So God never said, let there be darkness. And God never said the darkness was good. God said, let there be light, and that light was good. Show you another scripture on darkness. Jude 6 says, and I remind you of the angels who did not stay within their limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belonged, and God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. So Satan is, lives in darkness. These, these are fallen angels. They're, that's demonic spirits. They live in darkness. So let me ask you a, just a simple question. Where are secrets? <laughs> They're in the darkness. The best thing you can do with a secret like this that the enemy is trying to get you to imagine is to bring it into the light. Get it out of the darkness. You understand when you turn a light switch on, there's no fight. There's no wrestling. When you turn the light switch on, darkness and light aren't wrestling. Light immediately expels darkness. Immediately. You, you have already, uh, you're already on the way to winning the battle a long way down the road by simply bringing anything that is in the dark to the light. Um, I... Uh, I had a friend of mine that not long after we started Gateway Church, um, I found out that he had fallen morally, and he ended up losing, uh, leaving his, his wife and losing his family. I don't, I don't say that, obviously, with any joy. It broke my heart. But as I talked to him about it, he, he felt like he actually loved this other woman, and he told me about, I, I've really connected with her. And I've shared things with her I'd never shared with my wife. And, and there's a, a real deep emotional connection. And he said, I, I'm in love with her. And I said to him, of course you are. Because you did with her what you should have done with your wife. You connected emotionally with her. And, and I was uh, thinking about what, what was the trump card in his life. Because it was right when he was stepping into this, the, the call of God on his life in a greater way. And the trump card was... 
that we, we, we kind of knew that they never, she kind of went her way and he kind of went his way. And there wasn't a lot of emotion between them. But we just thought that was their personality. We thought that's the way they were. But the trump card was he never connected emotionally. He's, you know, he say, was saying to me, I've opened up and I've shared things with this other woman. He should have been doing that with his wife all along. And if he had connected with her emotionally, he would have fallen in love with her. But what I'm saying is that he probably believed this is the way I am, this is the way she is. But Satan was holding that little card that was just a two. And he was just holding it. And when my friend really stepped in to a productive call of God on his life, Satan went just like that. So don't, don't have a, a secret. Here's the second trump card, I think, from the prodigal son is sin. Hey, we, we know that he, he went into sin, uh, the word prodigal meaning, uh, you know, without restraint. And, and it has the implications of, of that he had, the older brother said later that drinking and, and, and with, with um, uh, immorality and all these things. Okay, please hear me. That was already going on in his heart. People don't just flip one day and start doing that. It's been going on for a long time. There was already sin in his heart. Now, Genesis 25, if you're there, uh, look at verse 29. It says, now Jacob cooked a stew. And Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew, for I'm weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. The word Edom simply means red. That's what it means. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die, so what is this birthright to me? And then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Now, this is amazing. This is, this is a little more than what we might think by just reading the words on the page. And the New Testament actually quotes this and says, don't be like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. Don't, don't do that. Okay. The birthright was, was phenomenal in the Jewish culture. We, we don't understand that, most of us from the culture that, that, we've, where, that we grew up in, we don't understand it. The, 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 uh, we, we talk about the inheritance, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But it was so much more than that. It, it was the honor of being the firstborn. It was the honor of being the patriarch of the family one time. They would have big dinners, the firstborn, always set by the father, the patriarch. The patriarch then would make speeches, but he would, even when the, the firstborn was young, he would ask him to say something at these dinners, implying this is the next patriarch of the family. This is the one. The, the firstborn could actually borrow money simply on his name. And no other child could do that. But he could do it because he was simply the firstborn. He was automatically made an elder in the gates of the city simply because he was the firstborn. And then we, we, most of us know about the inheritance. He received twice as much inheritance, double what any other child in the family would receive, double. So it, it wasn't just the financial, but it was the honor and Esau gives it up for a bowl of stew. Now, here's what's amazing about this is uh, the Bible likens this, though, to sexual sin in, in the New Testament when it quotes it. Because most of us would think, well, I, I'd never give up my birthright for food. But what about fleshly, any fleshly appetite? Because I know people who've given up everything 
for one short moment of gratification. And they've given up their marriage and their family and their kids and their grandkids and their business and the call of God on their life for one fleshly appetite. And that's what this is talking about. Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't go that way. Sin always takes you farther than you want to go. Costs you more than you wanted to pay and requires more than you wanted to give. It always does. That's the way sin is. And here was this prodigal son that gave it up. And, and please hear me when I say the firstborn. I hope you're relating this. Romans 8 says that Jesus was the firstborn of many brethren. Let me tell you what, what he did for you. He made you the firstborn of God also. In other words, here, here's what Romans 8 says. He was the firstborn of many. The firstborn of many. So you have all the rights and privileges of the firstborn, of the Father who created everything. And that's what sin does. It causes us to give it up. Um, I'm going to deal with briefly, just briefly, a difficult passage of Scripture. Several times in the Old Testament, God would say, when you, when you go in to conquer this land, kill them all, uh, even the children. And that's a, that's a difficult passage for many believers to get around. But you have to know a couple of things. One is you have to know these nations had been given a chance to repent. God had given them through uh, Joseph one time, uh, through Joshua another time. God had given them the chance to turn to him and repent. And they had said, we, no, we do not accept you. And they'd continue in their false worship and idols. God told Saul to destroy all of the Amalekites, but he didn't do it. You know what happened to Saul? His entire life, he fought with Amalekites, and he died in an Amalekite battle. So, so why would God say kill the little ones? Listen to me. Because little ones grow up. Now these were enemies of God and they had rejected God. So you have to understand that. And I don't have time to go into all the theology of this passage and explain that God's still a good God. But 1 Corinthians 10 tells us everything in the Old Testament represents something to us. Little ones grow up. Here, here, here's why I'm saying this. People will say, well, pastor, I don't have a big sin in my life. I just have a few little ones. Little ones grow up. And if you don't kill those little sins, they'll come back and kill you. Again, I have a, a pastor friend of mine that would text members of his staff, you know, good job and things like that, male and female. And he began texting a, a woman on staff just simply, you know, good job. All, he was texting all of the staff, uh, but personal texts. And then he and this woman began to exchange more personal text until he fell morally. It was just a little thing, but it was the crossing of a line he shouldn't have crossed. And he had sin in his heart before he ever crossed the line physically. 
So secrets, I think, are trump cards. I think sin that you allow to stay in your life is a trump card that Satan will play on you one day. And here's the third trump card, shame. Here's the reason I say this. Uh, Shame is the result of the fall. The very first thing that Adam and Eve felt after they fell was shame. It's the first thing they felt. They hid from God. They had no reason to hide from God. Can you imagine? I know God knows everything, but God's a person. He has joy, the Bible tells us. He grieves. How do you think God felt walking through the garden that day? And he never given his children any reason to hide from him. Never given them any reason to be afraid. And they said we were afraid, so we hid. Shame. We knew we were naked, so we hid. They, they felt shame. First time ever. Every person goes through shame. So let me tell you about the prodigal. Think about this. Comes home and he gets the party. And I just want to ask you a question. Maybe you never thought of this. How do you feel after the party? How do you feel for the rest of his life? You, I, now, I'm not saying that he had a problem with this, but I'm telling you, in my own life, it's been a battle. I mean, I'm forgiven. I know I'm forgiven. I know the Father receives me back. And I don't carry shame, but I'm still ashamed of the life that I lived at one time. I've learned to trust God and to roll the shame onto Him. But if you ask me, are you ashamed of what you did? Yes, I'm very ashamed of it. Wish I'd never done it. Just think about the prodigal when he went to the store. You think anyone whispered? You think anyone said, that's him? That's the one that broke his father's heart? That's the one that took his father's inheritance and spent it all on prostitutes? That's not the one that stayed home. That's the one that left home. Here's another thing that people, I, I don't think, think about this story. His inheritance was gone. See, we don't, we don't think about that. We think well, everything, everything was great. Yes, his relationship with his father was restored, but his inheritance was gone. You know, he, he couldn't go back to the bar owners and say to the bar owners and the prostitutes, um, I've repented. And um, so, you know, I was here a few years ago, and I spent that money in your bar, and, but, but I've repented. And um, I'm, I'm actually the, the prodigal in Luke 15. Maybe you've read the story. <laughs> That's me. And uh, so now that I've repented, I want you to give me the money back. Do you think any of the bar owners said, sure? That inheritance was gone. Here's what I'm saying. Yes, I'm loved. Yes, I'm forgiven. But I deal with some things that God never intended me to deal with because I lived a sinful life. I deal with images that my wife has never had to deal with. I saw things that I never should have seen. I did things I never should have done. I have images. I have memories. Yes, you can be healed. Yes, you can live a great, uh, joyful life. I was just, yesterday, I was in the outdoors, and I was just 
just blown away at God's creation and how good God is. So I, I don't live with shame. I, I live with joy. But I've had a battle. Anyone relate to me? Y'all are looking at me like you're pious or something. Okay, don't be pious in church. <clears throat> All right, let me, let me help you a little bit. Say, so I've never felt shame. Let me tell you, there are two types of people that feel shame. Those who deal with pride and those who deal with insecurity. You ever dealt with either? All right, let me say it another way. There are, here's, here's two groups of people that have dealt with shame, and this tells you they've dealt with shame. Those who talk too much and those who don't talk very much. People who talk too much, they have shame. I can guarantee it. I know, I know about these things. I've been, I've been a preacher 35 years. I know about these things, all right? People who talk too much, they're trying to cover up. They're trying to appear better than they are. And actually, they're, they're great because God has saved them, but they don't feel like they are. So they have to convince you that they are. And sometimes you sit there and you think, are you listening to yourself? You don't have to build yourself up to me that much. I accept you. And then people who don't talk very much, they don't talk very much because they have shame. I'm not talking about personalities now, okay, because, if, 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 you know, there are more verbal people and less verbal people. That's, that's all I'm talking about. I'm just talking about, all of you can relate to this. You, you deal with shame, pride. Any person that has pride is a person that has shame because he's trying to cover up who he feels like he really is. This is this, you say, well, why is, why is that a trump card? Because Satan holds it. And he knows that you still carry shame. And as soon as you start to do something for God, he says, uh, uh, don't, don't step out. So I'll bring your past out. As soon as you start really serving God, he says, oh, wait, wait, wait. Don't forget about this. That's the way he is. So what's, what's, what's the answer? If you're in Hebrews 12, let me read you a couple of scriptures. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he's referring back to chapter 11, what we call the hall of faith, all these great men and women of God. We're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside, let us lay aside every weight. Let me say it another way. Every secret, every sin, all the shame, the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. How are we going to do it? <laughs> looking unto Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith. The author and the what? Finisher. Boy, you just can't imagine what good news that is that I don't have to finish it. That he who started a good work in me will complete it. The author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Watch this. Despising the shame. He took our shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18. Listen to this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. We're in the process. Not We've received salvation. It's past tense. We're also being converted. We're being changed into the image of Christ. 
It is, the cross is the power of God. Okay, so how, how, how am I going to get rid of these trump cards? Go to the cross. See, you don't just go to the cross to get saved one time. You do get saved, and it's a beginning, and you are born from above, and it's a spiritual birth, and it's a work that God does. But as a believer, to those of us who believe, the cross is the power of God. I keep taking my secrets to the, to the cross. I keep taking my sin to the cross. I keep taking my shame to the cross. And you need to know something about the cross. Jesus said, pick up your cross daily and follow me. Okay. Um, the cross today has honor because of what Jesus did. We, we, we have jewelry with crosses. Uh, we, we have um, decorations on our wall. We put crosses. Okay, the cross today has honor. You have to remember when Jesus said, pick up your cross, take up your cross, it had no honor. <laughs> no honor and no glory then. It was a symbol of shame. It would be like Jesus said, follow me to the gallows and die with the rest of the criminals. No, 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 no glory at all. But it has glory because of this. So here's what I'm going to tell you about the cross. The cross is still the answer. It's still the answer to go to the cross every day, to place my sin and my secrets and my shame on the cross. And since I'm using the Trump card analogy, and I've already offended several of you with this analogy. I'm sorry. But since I'm using it, you need to know something. Satan holds that little two of spades. But God holds the ace of spades. And it's the cross. And when Satan says to God, look at all Robert's done wrong, God says, look at all my son did right. Look at all my son did right for him. And because of the cross, God would say it this way, Satan, listen to me. He's free and he's forgiven. You want a, you want a trump card? I've been holding on to it right here. It's called the cross of Jesus Christ. So you come to the cross, you give him your life. And you're going, you're doing great, and all of a sudden, an imagination comes in your mind. Sin starts to come and work, and you start thinking like the prodigal did. If he had a chance, not many days after, you might go down that road. The answer is to always turn to the cross. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Now, I want you to just take a moment like we do every weekend and just say, God, what, what are you saying to me? Just take a moment. Just, just in your heart, it's very important that you let God speak what he wants to speak personally to you through the message. Just, just, just say to him right now in your heart, God, what are you saying to me through this message? Is there a secret you need to bring out in the light? Get it out of the darkness because that's where it has power. That's where Satan operates. Is there a sin that, as Hebrews says, the sin that so easily ensnares us? Is there an attitude of shame that you carry? Maybe even not because of your past, because of where you are right now, with what you're struggling with right now. 
you feel shameful. Come to the cross. Come to the cross. Every day, come to the cross. And we want, we want to pray for you. At every campus, if you're in an overflow room, we want to pray for you. This, we do this at the end of every service. We have one more worship song in just a moment. We're going to all stand in a moment, which makes it easy for you just to say to the person beside you, excuse me, I need prayer. And, and sometimes on a message like this, we feel like, well, I don't want to go today and ask for prayer because people will think that I have some deep, dark secret or I'm involved in some sort of an immoral sin because he talked about that. Okay, don't, don't let the devil talk you out of what God's doing in your heart right now. Everyone needs prayer. Don't, don't let pride come in. Everyone needs prayer. So if you need prayer for any area of your life, any area of your life, at every campus, in just a moment as we worship, you, you, when we stand, you just stand up and you just step out, same time. Don't, don't hesitate because so many times then fear comes in. If you need prayer, and you don't have to be a member of Gateway Church to come for prayer. If you need prayer for any area of your life, as soon as we stand up, no matter which campus you're attending, or if you're even in an overflow room, we'll have people at the front of that room. If you're in the second level at South Lake, we have people beside every exit, just close to where the, those little foyers are in the, in the second level. So if you need prayer for any area of your life, as soon as we stand up, you just stand up, step out and come and let us pray for you, all right? Holy Spirit, I pray you'll draw every per person at every campus in every room that needs prayer right now in Jesus' name, amen.